Hey, welcome to the Urban Crofters podcast. We're a church family based in Roth, Cardiff, seeking to connect, create, and transform the community around us, kingdom style. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Urban Crofters, to this next session, our series looking at the book of Ephesians. It'd be good to pray together as we begin. Lord, thank you so much for the inspiration of your word. And we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to consider the letter to the church at Ephesus together. And we pray for the help of your spirit in taking to heart its truth and its implications for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start just with a very quick recap of um, what we were considering in chapter one of Ephesians. Very much a sense of counting our blessings in Christ. God has given us so many wonderful blessings through our redemption in Jesus. Here are a few of the ones that Paul has highlighted in chapter one. The fact that we're chosen by God, the fact we're adopted into his family as his sons and daughters, the fact that we are redeemed in Christ, forgiven our sins, the fact that we're enlightened by the Holy Spirit so that we can receive and understand his revelation and the fact that we're guaranteed a glorious inheritance in the ages to come on the new earth. We turn our attention this week to chapter two and we're going to look at the first 10 verses in this session. And here Paul uh, paints a, a very stark contrast between the plight of humanity before we're rescued and redeemed by God and our astonishing blessings once we are rescued by God and through being rescued by God. Let's consider the text together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's always worth reading text in the message because Eugene Peterson has such a profound understanding of the implications of the biblical text and the original languages and his paraphrases bring out wonderful uh, illumination often. Let's read it in the message. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. 
We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. <clears throat> he did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So let's look at these astonishing contrasts that Paul portrays in these first verses of chapter two. First of all, looking at our human plight before we're redeemed. And the first aspect is our spiritual state. Paul says very clearly here that we may be physically alive before saved by Jesus, but we're very much spiritually dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Stark reality that we need always to remember about life before we're redeemed in Christ. If Christ has not yet raised us to new spiritual life, we are spiritually dead. And using another metaphor for death, that of sleep, um, is helpful, I think, in this regard. Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 14, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so there's another metaphor for thinking about spiritual death. The reality that people around us who are not yet believers, not yet followers of Jesus, that they are spiritually asleep and needing to be woken up. So we're spiritually dead before we are redeemed by Jesus. Secondly, our moral direction is that of disobedience. Paul writes, you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so Paul is saying very clearly here, before we're rescued by God, we are following a destructive pathway of, a of disobedience to God we are pursuing the ways of the world. We are pursuing the ways of sinful human flesh, our sinful nature, in other words, and we're pursuing the ways of the devil. And so he's saying we experience sinful desires and we pursued them wholeheartedly without guilt or regret. We continually gave into temptation as those under the authority of Satan. And this is, again, is the stark reality that Paul is portraying here, that before we find faith in Christ, we are under the dominion of the devil, who he describes here as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 
the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Thirdly, Paul writes clearly about our eternal destiny before we find faith in Christ. We face God's judgment. We were by nature deserving of wrath. The reality is that there are eternal consequences to our disobedience to God's ways in this life now. So, having portrayed our plight before we're rescued by God, Paul then goes on to consider our astonishing blessings through being rescued by God. He maps out this wonderful contrast of a redeemed life when we do the U-turn of repentance. First of all, we have a new spiritual state. We are spiritually alive in Christ. God made us alive with Christ, he writes. We have new resurrection life through faith in Christ forever. That's a glorious promise from God that he will never break and a glorious reality that we're able to live in each and every day of our lives. Secondly, before we were objects of wrath, but now we are recipients of God's love, mercy, grace and generosity but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast so we're saved by god's grace and not by our own good works, Paul is saying. That's really important to recognize that this astonishing gift from God is all about his amazing grace to us. And so we need a very clear understanding of the nature of our salvation in Christ, that it is through the grace of God, it is not because of our goodness. Good works are the fruit of salvation, they're not the root of salvation. So important that we're clear in our minds in understanding that and explaining it to others. So often people think that they need to be good, they need to be righteous in order for God to save them. The reality is that when we were dead in our transgression and sin, then at that moment, we were saved out of darkness into light. We didn't live in the light first. And maybe we can um, use the analogy of marriage. What makes us married is the ex public exchange of the vows and promises that are made. And in the light of the reality of a marriage relationship, then it follows that we would want to undertake acts of kindness and generosity towards one another in the context of marriage. But it's not the acts of kindness that create the marriage. And so Paul is saying it's not good works that allow us to be redeemed. Our good works follow on from our faith. Next blessing is our new position of authority in Christ. God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are set free in Christ from the dominion of darkness, from being slaves to the evil one. And we are um, given a strategic position, which brings with it important spiritual responsibilities. We have a new destiny, the incomparable riches of God's grace. Verse seven, in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is the promise of our eternal destiny on the new earth when Christ returns again. And we have a new path of kindness through being rescued by God as well. No longer are we committed to doing works of darkness under the influence of the devil, but now we are able, freed, liberated, to undertake the good works that God wants us to be doing. For we are God's handiwork, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that sense of God preparing works for us to do, almost lining those works up for us day by day. And then the opportunity that we have to be attentive to God's leading and prompting of recognizing where there are opportunities for good works to be accomplished. It's almost like a father going out and laying out um, toys, if you like, for his kids to come out and play with, that sense of the playfulness that is um, possible for us as we engage in good works. Not a, just a, a duty, but a joy for us to undertake. So these are the revolutionary results of redemption through faith in Christ that Paul paints so clearly for us in these first 10 chapters. And let's just review them now. First of all, our spiritual state that we were spiritually dead before we put our faith in Christ. We are now alive in Christ through that faith. Secondly, our position we were following the path of disobedience and destruction before, but now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Next, our authority. Before we were under the authority of Satan. Now we share in the authority of Christ as we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Our conduct before we were fulfilling worldly ways and indulging in sinful uh, acts as we responded to the sinful desires of our fallen human nature, the flesh, as Paul terms it. Now we are fulfilling good works from God for God. Our destiny before was facing God's judgment and a Christless eternity, and now our eternity is that of enjoying and cherishing God's lavish, loving, gracious kindness. The, the contrast Paul paints is very stark and clear. So a glorious outline of the gospel of salvation in Christ here from Paul. And I want to just reflect to finish with on a few implications. Firstly, gospel wonder. How can we not read these words describing this incredible revolution that takes place in our lives as we put our faith in Jesus and not be inspired and provoked to worship and to wonder at God's grace 
in setting us free in this way. May we once again be prompted to praise and worship God for all that he's given us in Christ. A second implication is that of gospel confidence. It's been remarked by some Christian leaders that amongst many followers of Jesus, there is a widespread and dangerous loss of confidence in the power of the gospel, partly uh, through um, the declining numbers in many churches over the last few decades, partly perhaps through some animosity to um, certain Christian perspectives in the media. Um, we need to regain and stand in gospel confidence. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, he writes in Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We need to be able to echo those words of confidence that Paul speaks about the gospel of salvation. We need to recognize that it is only this gospel of salvation which can transform human hearts. Politics can't do it. Education can't do it. Business can't do it. None of these agencies, important though they are, can transform human lives forever. Only the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ has the power to bring about a transformation of people from the inside out. So let us together encourage one another to regain gospel confidence, even in this era, especially in this era when church numbers are at a low ebb and perhaps one to 2% of Wales committed in their faith in Christ. There is a long way to go, but let us be confident in the Christian gospel of salvation in Christ. And then gospel clarity as well. We need to be so clear in our personal understanding about the gospel of salvation so that we can explain it to others, especially in the light of what Paul's saying here in these verses, so that we can um, get rid of the myth that you need to be a good person to be saved. You need to be uh, a person of um, good works and generosity in order to be worthy of God's love and grace and redemption. Let's remember that while we were still sinners, God stepped in and saved us. Even in our transgressions, Paul writes here, we were saved. We are not saved through our good works. We are saved in our transgressions in, in order that we might live a life of good works as a fruit of that salvation. And then gospel courage. I pray that we can all be encouraged through our exploration of Ephesians, as we read and reread these amazing texts, to be courageous in our readiness to share our faith in Jesus, in our courage to share stories of what God has done in our lives, how he's turned our lives around, and how he's at work in our lives, transforming us every day, and uh, all these astonishing blessings that he gives to us. So, a few questions for us to reflect on and discuss together. 
One aspect of the gospel of salvation most inspires us from this passage in Ephesians. Secondly, do we ever find ourselves doubting the power of the Christian gospel to bring redemption to, Christ, to, to human lives? Where do those doubts come from? Why do we find ourselves skeptical at times that the Christian gospel is powerful? Thirdly, what illustrations do we find effective in clarifying the fact that good works are the fruit and not the root of our salvation in Christ? And lastly, how can we gain clarity and courage in sharing this gospel effectively? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these astonishing verses uh, in Ephesians. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate them clearly for us as we reflect upon them and as we seek to respond to their power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Urban Crofters podcast. To connect with more of who we are and what we do, visit our website at urbancrofters.co.uk or follow us on socials at urban underscore crofters.